You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, all from Broome to Esperance. Welcome to another episode of the Perth Property Show. As always, I'm your host, Trent Fleskins, and this one is going straight to the hearts of those in the regions. Today, we're talking regional WA. Will it ever be a good idea again? To help us out, we've got one of my favorite experts in Western Australia, Brendan Ptolemy, Managing Director of Heron Todd White. Brendan, thanks for coming in. Trent, thanks for having us. Brendan, let's crack on straight away. When we think regional WA, we generally think about the Pilbara, don't we? Absolutely. There's been a lot of property investment in there in the past. There has, right? Let's talk Caratha. We'll start from the top and we'll work our way down. Interesting in Caratha because there's a good story to be told there. Uh, We saw a period of time where everything crashed. By an HW analysis, we were 66% down in property values from the peak to the trough. And it's a massive statistic and obviously means lots of people lost lots of money over a pretty quick period of time within a couple of years. And we went through that market cycle where people thought they could sell their house at the top of the market. Suddenly, the demand for that property ebbs away and they're left holding an asset that is then dropping in value. Uh, The interesting from a valuer's point of view, we're watching the analysis of that and waiting for the market to show us what the new bottom is. And we saw that about 18 months ago where we saw transactions come through some of the banks starting to sell properties and you find out where the property market has fallen to. So we went from seven, eight hundred thousand dollar median house price to transactions down at two, $250,000 for a standard three by one. So you're saying that you've seen the bottom? Yep, we've seen the bottom. So we can definitively say now that through the evidence that we're analyzing for our valuations, that we've seen the bottom and that we've seen things moving upwards slightly. So a 10% and maybe even slightly larger than 10% gain in capital values on good product in Caratha. So let's think about what that good product is uh, because we need to be cautious around what we're saying is the, the thing to buy in that locality. Is good product new product? No. Well, so interestingly, in Caratha, the good product was the old product. So the locals wanted to buy older three-bedroom, one-bathroom houses on big blocks because they essentially don't live inside in Caratha. They want to live on the back porch. Uh, they want to have a large shed in the backyard for their toys, so jet skis and boats and extra cars and quad bikes and things like that. So secure a shed. You need some space to put that probably a pool and a really big patio to live under through the hot months. So that idea, that rule of land trumps house still applies in Caratha as well? Absolutely, yeah. So the family comes along and says, where we're going to live? We're going to live in the backyard. We made the biggest backyard we can get. Not so much, I need a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home on a 500-square-metre lot, which is closer to the new product up there. It's really interesting. I think a lot of people will be quite surprised to hear that, that we've been waiting quite cautiously as to whether Caratha and all that area would ever be coming back again obviously at some point would have but we don't hear a lot there's not a lot in the news about Caratha are you here to say Caratha is a buy look it looks like a buy to us at the moment Uh, in terms of what we're seeing at the stage of the market cycle we can see mortgagee and possession properties being washed out by the banks so where the people have lost the money from the top end of the market and not being able to readjust their asset profile those properties have been sold either by the banks or by the individual themselves. And the, the market's essentially been cleaned out by lots of local activity, lots of locals buying property in there. Well, they're the first people to have the information, aren't they? Exactly. They're the first ones to know. And in any market, the people with information first are the ones that generally win first. Yeah, absolutely. And so they've either come out of a rental and said, right, it's time that I can buy now because the values have gone down. Or they're obviously investors that have sat there, 
probably sold at the peak of the market. Again, a local looking at the market going, now's the time to get out, bank the money, come back in at the bottom of the market. Do you have any information as to whether the banks are starting to play a ball on that too? Yeah, so there's a couple of the biggest banks are absolutely playing ball in there. Interestingly, there's another couple of the banks that don't want to finance into that marketplace. Whether they got burnt in the past, not sure, but essentially they probably have got some policies around the fact that it's a mining town and they're not sure that they want to lend into a well, mining for a, town. a long time, uh, postcode blacklists have been a reality with the big banks. So yep. that obviously can go on and off. And it's good to see that with a couple of the banks, that blacklist might... Uh, now not include the Caratha postcode. Yeah, and I, I need to be cautious about what I say and know about blacklists, and I don't have a deep knowledge of that. What we can see, though, is where we get valuations from certain clients, and we can see where they want to lend and don't want to lend. Uh, and I can definitively say there's a couple of banks that really don't seem to have a postcode lending policy, whereas there's another couple of banks that definitively do. Well, clearly, if you're being hired by the bank to do a valuation, they haven't said no. Exactly, exactly. So they're checking that asset value, making sure that the asset that they're going to lend against is actually underpinning the borrowings of their client and making sure that the market's stacking up and obviously looking at our reports and seeing what the risks are of them lending in that locality. Let's talk Newman. We'll step down. Newman for me is uh, an interesting one. I love it. It's that junction point where you wonder, what is Newman? What do they do? They're not near the ocean. They're not near the ports. But that really interesting, important hub for most of the mining companies. And when you go there as a town, really beautiful community, supported very strongly by the big miners, they're waiting for a bit of a crack. Do you have any news for them? Yeah, Newman's an interesting town because it is still an oversupply situation and it has had a crash in terms of values. We've been doing some of those mortgagee and possession type valuations through there for the banks. So the banks are still cleaning out some of that stock where people have lost money. It hasn't so much had a clean out yet. It probably is bumping along at the bottom, though there are some products where we've seen a slight increase in value. So as an example, we've done some uh, mortgagee and possession valuations on a decent sized block, not in the best part of Newman, where a really old 1960s fibro cement house on a decent block of land Fifty thousand dollars where it was the, was the types price. of types of value ranges there. Yeah, just looking at vacant land in the area. Most recently, we've seen in the uh, subdivision just to the north of the town, the Strata Lot subdivision, uh, a vacant land sale in there at twelve thousand dollars. Wow! Uh, for from memory, that's a three or four hundred odd square meter block, and obviously you've got the problem of needing to try and construct something on that lot, and then. Elsewhere in town, there are some other standard size vacant lots. But what we're seeing there at the moment is there's sections of town where there's lots of vacant houses and that doesn't augur well for creating a nice community feel. And essentially those houses are, are empty because the government services that might have occupied them or the, the mining miners, mining workforce that might have occupied them have gone somewhere else. The need's just not there anymore. Exactly. You, so. don't, you don't pick up and move the house with it, do you? No, that's right. So you bought it up, wait for the demand c- to come back, and that demand is on its way. The other interesting thing about Newman is that it's got a new shopping centre and a massive new dome cafe there. Very big. And they have created a really decent little community hub in the middle of town there like you say it looks like a nice place to live so yeah. i've been in the dome a couple of times recently and great place to work we, we get into town and go and do some inspections and go and post up there grab some lunch and coffee and, and work while we're there and it seems like that's a really standard thing for people oh, it's to a be fantastic doing. Yeah. community brendan I, I love the people there and they really get around each other everyone knows each other yeah and i guess they're just waiting for their opportunity where that balance of supply and demand and they can't control supply it will be what it will be exactly. but that demand side and i guess they're the first ones to see it aren't 
aren't they? When yeah. when the service companies for the mining towns start coming back in, they're the, really the ones you want to be calling to say, look, is there is things moving there? Because you know you see a lot more of it happening in the rest of the state. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting things we've seen from the locals in Newman is them buying up the old places, the ones that I just mentioned, the maybe the fibro cement older places or even the eighties type places, and doing them up and then selling them on. So uh, buy it really cheap do the quick uh, cosmetic reno and when I say quick it's not easy in a location like that you don't just drop down to Bunnings and buy the equipment and, the, no and the materials <laughs> exactly so you need to be a really organised almost like a project manager handyman to be able to actually manage the process and do the renovation and then on sell and try and make a profit Okay, so a little bit of a wait and see for Newman. Let's yep. move south even further to Kalgoorlie. Yes, Cal is interesting. It is still going through the bottom end of its cycle and struggling just depending on which section of town you're in. So uh, again, a, a fair bit of mortgagee in possession type activity there. So where values have corrected slightly and they haven't cr- corrected uh, in a really dramatic fashion, the same as up north. Well, they're not very high value in the first place, yep. are they? So yeah. it's hard. There's, a, there's always a little bit of a flaw with a town that is so perennial. Yep. And so you're looking at things like socioeconomic issues, uh, issues with um, family unit, that kind of situation where maybe a relationship's broken down and that brings through those those issues with mortgagee and possessions in a, a place like Kalgoorlie, as well as coupled with the idea that values haven't gone up or more importantly, have come back again uh, and then people start looking at their asset value and go, hang on, this cost me X dollars. It's now not worth that anymore. Why are we paying off our mortgage? And, and that causes people stress. So it's it's looking for its recovery. We, we really can't probably see anything uh, that's going to make it recover dramatically in the near future because it is such a flat cycle type town so yeah yeah it being a gold mining company and gold being such an old industry there it doesn't see those big booms and busts that the the top of australia sees yep and it's got a fairly mature robust market there anyway that supports those swings yep yeah and so the drivers to cause another outbreak in values really aren't there to make sure that uh, it has that successful increase into the future for me i always focus on talking about not being caught out by the rental yields that come up. Sometimes you'll see on the property magazines and even Rewa, oh, that you no, know, the number one rental yield suburbs in Western Australia. It's really strange, you know, they'll come up with suburbs you may not have heard of before that may be around these towns like Kandana and things like that. But what we have to remember, I think, is that these are rental yields of $110,000 house. And it looks fantastic. Yep. But when you take rates and all that into consideration, you're either making 50 bucks throughout the year from yep. that really good rental yield, or you might be losing money with a bit of maintenance. So yeah. don't get caught out just by the metrics. Really look at what you're buying and whether that's actually going to, as a quantum, make you some money. Yeah, and therein lies the dilemma of where you're going to invest your property dollar. Uh, one of the good examples is to have a look at that, the investment in the Pilbara, where insurance costs, because you're in a cyclone area, are really, really high, especially for strata property. So it might be that you're making a 12% return, but once you take out the insurance costs on a strata in, in the Pilbara area, or indeed you go back out to Kalgoorlie at those lower values, you really need to make sure you understand what that net return is, because the headline percentages look great. We'll finish off with that Bunbury-Dunsborough region. A lot of people 
are affected by this because there's a lot of people in Perth whose holiday home or just a family member live down there. So yep. where are they at? Yeah, so Bunbury has gone through a stage and is still, sorry, going through a stage of recovery. It's a, a different town completely as an industrial town as opposed to, say, Dunsborough. So we'll just split those up yeah. slightly. Bunbury's still bumping along, trying to find some traction, had some issues with oversupply on the back end of the last property boom uh, and still trying to work its way through that in terms of places like Dalyella getting rid of that stock that was mm. in place. Uh, places like Australind, obviously, and Eaton on the on the north end of town. Uh, stock there being uh, washed out through the marketplace. The good thing is that people like to live in those locations. They do have that lifestyle appeal if people are going to be around Bunbury and the demand will continue to come for them. So you do end up in that classic demand and supply situation. So when can that supply be soaked up slightly and when will the demand be solid enough to create some value increase in them? I guess that's the eccentricity about that area is that because it's fairly regional, you don't have a huge amount of demand at any one point in time, but to underpin a land estate development, you sort of need to open up 30, 40, 50 blocks. And it's not like you're going to have 30, 40, 50 people straight away on that day. So it takes time to fill that up, doesn't it? Absolutely. And then to bring the infrastructure to it. So things like the shopping centres and schools are, are there now and that's been a long period of time you know they've been doing those developments for 10 years and so you'd get that infrastructure over a period of time Dunsborough Dunsborough has been really interesting because over the last year to 18 months it's actually been an attractive place for people coming out of Perth so what we saw on the back end of the bust in the mining boom was essentially people reconsidering what their lifestyle options were and we saw actually a lot of people sell out in Perth initially and then move down to Dunsborough and even into those Bunbury suburbs that we were just talking about because they were cheaper so they take their dollar out of Perth and go I'm going to go to to Dunsborough maybe uh, Vast Newtown those kinds of places that are opening up down there still living a suburban type life but obviously in a location that's quite a bit different to suburban Perth right out of that metro area and what our valuers have been experiencing down there is that that corrected really quickly in that kind of median house price type level uh, down in the Dunsborough area where people came searching for lifestyle and searching for essentially really good value for money. It was a bit of a surprise wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Just to have that demand and that population shift from Metro Perth down to uh, down to the southwest. Yeah. Well, when that's the thing, I remember looking at your property clock and that southwest, which is essentially Dunsborough and, and whatnot. Those guys bucked the trend when Perth was really dumping. Absolutely, yeah. And it, they consistently saw exactly what we're talking about. So FIFO type workers uh, had been attached to Perth for whatever reason to be located uh, where they had decided to live on the back of their maybe initial house purchase, thought they needed to be in suburban Perth, get into the job and then realise, hang on, I don't actually have, if I'm flying in and flying out, it doesn't matter what suburb I live in uh, and my family might be more comfortable in the southwest and so they started making some of those decisions. Brendan, this is all good news for me. I think this really reflects a changing of perception in Perth and um, what has been months and months of rumours of things starting to solidify, projects starting to come through. And if we're seeing it literally at the coalface uh, in Western Australia, I think for people in Perth and just generally in Western Australia, it's a bit of a good vibe heading into 2019. Yeah, look, that we've had these false starts before. So as a value... We've had a year of false starts, <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> and as a value, we're always cautious about trying to lead the charge. Yeah. Uh, so we're still cautious about 2019. But there, there's a lot to be said for where the marketplace is at at the moment. And that is that it's a really good opportunity to go and get a bargain. It actually doesn't really matter which suburb you're going into. Obviously, you want to give yourself the best chance to make a gain into the future. But 
essentially prices aren't going to be any cheaper than they are now in lots of suburbs throughout Perth. So it is a fantastic opportunity. That's the difference now, isn't it? I think a year ago, we were hopeful that we're starting to see movement. Now we're starting to actually see data showing we've come off the bottom, you know, for particular suburbs. For some suburbs, we're way off the bottom. Yep. But for other suburbs on a median size in regional areas, we're actually now seeing data to saying, things are starting to go up. It hasn't yep. gone up a massive amount, but it's not going down anymore. Absolutely, yeah. And so one of those examples, obviously, would be somewhere like the Western suburbs. It's really easy to pick out Cottesloe and say, hey, look, at, at least uh, middle of 2016, it was absolutely at its bottom. There was a, a oversupply of um, older houses with, on decent-sized blocks in there. Uh, it's really difficult to go and buy one of those now. So just simply without even looking at the, the value difference between them, that just the supply of that product shows you that it was oversupplied back then, it's completely undersupplied at the moment. And so that demonstrates that market's changed over that period of time. Yep. And now we're just watching the rest of the state. I always say the smart money moves first. Yep. And the smart money, in my opinion, always starts in the western suburbs. We're just watching that start to filter out through the metro area. And as well, in, in some good news stories, a lot of regional WA too. Yep. Brendan, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Hope to have you in again sometime soon. Cheers. Thanks, Trent. So we'll move on to the suburb spotlight now. And this week we are talking Hilton in the city of Fremantle. To help us out with our conversation, we've got Hilton's number one real estate agent, Laurie Curtin from Deathridge Groves. Laurie, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me in. Laurie, Hilton for me is an older suburb. It's sitting in there on the fringes of Fremantle. Tell us a little bit about the history of Hilton and why people are now starting to move into the suburb. Well, Hilton originally was housing for returned servicemen and then became public housing over the last 50 or so years. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, people started to look to Hilton as an alternative to Fremantle. Fremantle becoming more expensive and we all love Fremantle and the diverse eclectic lifestyle it offers and the beach lifestyle that it offers but we couldn't really afford it. When I say we, I include myself, having mm. li- living in Hilton as well, but that's what attracted myself there and many others, that it's a little bit more affordable but still within City of Fremantle, close to the beach and offers that Fremantle vibrancy. So would you say that it's been cheaper because it's got that state housing background and it doesn't have exactly what Fremantle offers? Is that changing over time? It is, and it, and it did have a stigma to it. People saw it as having some social issues. And if you look at the big picture, what I when I'm talking about Hilton, I always call Hilton Fremantle's poor cousin, okay. you know, or the scapegoat, or the one that people like to refer to as the problem child in the yes. family. Yes. But if you go and look at all the stats, it's actually not like that, and it's actually not that bad. And certainly in the last 20 years that I've been living there, things have improved immensely Mm. in the area and so people are attracted that it's affordable but now that it has changed so much we've seen some amazing prices in the area and it's attracting a real mixture of people as well. So a bit more culture you've got some cafes coming through that maybe wouldn't have been there five years ago? The local supermarket I referred to uh, many years ago, it was like the Bronx. You were a bit worried about going in there, what might happen. But now I even catch uh, many of my Fremantle friends up at the local IGA that I refer to as the best IGA in Fremantle. We've also got amazing Gilberts and now across the road on the main strip there, which has just been updated, there's a cafe there as well, which is attracting a new group of people. So you've got three or four local cafes happening nearby. There's also a mixture of parks. There's the local community garden 
Brisbane, Hilton Harvest. We've got the PCYC, which recently has won many community awards. I believe it's the uh, most visited PCYC in WA and it runs lots of programs as well. So there seems to be more and more reasons for people to be coming up to Hilton than what perhaps it was 10 or 15 years ago. So you alluded to, I guess, a change of guard in the time of people that are coming mm. through and living in Hilton. Tell us about that. What sort of people are starting to buy properties off of you in Hilton? There's a mixture, but recently I've been selling to a lot of first homeowners. But when we think of a first homeowner, I think we all think of someone young and that given the prices that Perth had experienced some years ago, that prevented some people from buying. So I'm seeing many older people that couldn't afford to buy their first home. Perhaps they're in their 30s, late 30s, early 40s that can now get into the market. So I am selling to a lot of first homeowners. There's young families and also there's a lot of single ladies as well that are buying some of the homes in the rear lots, the newer homes that require less maintenance. Well, that's a perfect segue onto the types of properties Mm -hmm. that are available in Hilton. It's starting to change, obviously, with a bit of development. We'll talk about that in a bit. But walk us through what sort of properties that we can see in Hilton uh, as a diverse optionality for people and what price points that might be incurring for someone looking to buy. Well, at the minute, I think the median house price in Hilton's around sitting around 530. It did go up as much as 575 about three or four years ago. It's always been pretty steady though over the years and right now the character homes are always the most popular in Hilton. That's what attracts people. That's the identity of Hilton. Yeah, very much so, those timber-framed homes. And I don't know if you know, but those original homes that were built, there was only seven floor plans of those homes. So it is so interesting to go into them, the ones that have been renovated, and you might see two or three identical floor plans, but the owners of those homes have all renovated them in a different way. Mm. You know, they've chosen to move them around slightly different or had their living spaces in different parts of the home. So that makes it really interesting. They're interesting, the character, obviously, the gardens, I think, too. The trees in Hilton, the bird life also really attracts people. It is known as the garden suburb and people really enjoy their indoor-outdoor livability. So that style of home primarily is the number one that people enjoy. With subdivisions, you see a lot more of the newer homes being built. People generally that like newer homes don't really like Hilton. They probably would prefer Palmyra or Willoughby or even Success or one of those areas. Sometimes when people are building the new homes in Hilton, I've observed that they make the mistake that they don't do enough market research into what Hilton people like. So if people in Hilton are going to buy one of the newer homes, they're going to look for something that has really good northern orientation, gets really good northern light into the living spaces. They're going to want something that has really good indoor-outdoor livability. And they're also going to want a home that has good energy efficiency about it as well. So it represents that Fremantle culture really. Once again it does people that are really uh, considerate of the environment so those newer homes if it has been built with that consideration then they generally will do quite well and attract quite a few buyers. So what you're saying to me is that that culture still really does come through quite strongly in Hilton that we would expect of Fremantle. They value that old style renovated cottage home Uh, and to a point where they actually don't value cookie-cutter development blocks that a lot of people might expect might be an option to develop. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, it's really interesting. It's quite unique, really. You don't hear that a lot. Well, you see it when you, you know, a developer might come through, they'll divide the lot, and um, in the back, they'll build a project home. And they think, oh, everyone loves a a new four by two, you know, with a kitchen, a new kitchen and so forth. No, it's not going to cut it. And the other reason too, it's got low ceilings most of the time. There's not a lot of consideration being put to the indoor-out deliverability. They might have a very, very small alfresco area that doesn't lend itself to nice gardens or trees or anything like that. So... 
And the other interesting thing too is that when people are squeezing those four by two homes into a lot, then they make the room sizes smaller, small. the living, yep, too small. So what I've noticed lately in Hilton, and in fact, I sold an amazing little two bedroom cottage last year. I think uh, from memory, I've sold it for around 485. It was the middle lot of a triplex subdivision and it uh, reflected the Hilton style. And what I'm finding is that that style of home will attract far more people than if that developer had gone and squeezed some new three by two in there, that they gave more consideration to the living spaces and the functionality and the livability of the property rather than thinking, oh, everyone loves a brand new four by two with a new kitchen, you know, we'll squeeze that in here and it'll sell. They don't sell in Hilton, they sit on the market and ended up end up by selling for a much lower price. That's a really, really good insight. Most people wouldn't expect mm-hmm. uh, in most suburbs and clearly is important to the people of Hilton and that leads perfectly again onto our next topic and that's developability in the suburb. Can you run us through the different zoning types in Hilton and where people should be looking if they want to do a development in Hilton? Well most lots in Hilton do have the split zoning of the R20, R25. Run us through what that means to people with the types of blocks available. Yeah so the R20 you would need between uh, you would need over 900 square meters to subdivide that property. Uh, The R25 you would need between 700 and 900 square meters to subdivide it and once it's subdivided the council would require you to put a restrictive covenant over the two lots that would state that any development over the those two lots would need to meet with the City of Fremantle's Energy Efficiency Building Scheme. Now, that's not something to be scared of. In fact, I'm quite happy or pleased with the council that they've done that because it is encouraging developers to give more consideration to the environmental side of their build or the sustainability side of it. And you can see in some other councils where they have changed the zoning and they haven't introduced that, it's really diminishing the values in the area because developers are just building inferior product and that's not the overall area is not holding its value so in Hilton some of the lots like I said are zoned only R20 but most of them have the split zoning of R20 R25 and what is the general lot size of an undeveloped block these days probably there's 880 thereabouts so that's perfect so in that seven R25 level you're looking at doing a house behind a house or yep. a knockdown in a side by side maybe no you can't do a knockdown in Hilton so this is the other thing that people feel a little frustrated with about Hilton is it in the planning policy for Hilton there is consideration for heritage so you must apply to the council to demolish any of the street front homes in my time in Hilton in the last 18 years I've only observed one person managing to get a home demolished I have heard that there may have been a couple more prior to that, but I do know of only one. It is very difficult. You can apply to council, but I don't like your chances. And in fact, I welcome that. I'm glad that we have that because if we didn't have that, people would be demolishing all those gorgeous timber-framed homes and we would be be looking like a new estate. So the overall area um, now manages to keep that wonderful feel it has. That identity. Yeah. That's a really big theme that I'm I'm hearing. And that's really interesting because, again, uh, most people I think would possibly go into a purchase and not have that background of understanding, look, you can't knock it down as easy as any other suburb and get caught with the reality that, you know, that plan you may have had, that concept you had to do a side by side and put something that want to be nice up actually isn't going to happen. And you're going to have to salvage this or put that property back on the market because you're going to have to find somewhere else to do it. Yeah. Some developers may be, um, may shy away from that. They'd be worried about the investment 
commitment of doing that. But what I've observed is, is those houses that you do have to retain, do work on those. And I think you'll realise a much stronger investment later on than what you would had you have knocked it down and built two new homes. Laurie, every week we have our number one real estate agent play our median house price game. And that is, if you had the median house price for Hilton, if you had that money in your pocket, what would you buy? going to ask you the same question. What will you be picking up for that $530,000 mark? I think I would actually buy a block and build a little two by two on it. I'd like to do that as a demonstration to other developers and builders that you don't have to do the three by two homes and that the missing middle, for example, that you know that there is actually a big part of the population that aren't after the big homes anymore. They do want smaller homes and we are missing accommodation for those. And I think you could do something quite nice for that. Be considerate of your indoor outdoor livability and at the same time build a very comfortable home. Laurie, Thanks for coming in. We hope to have you in again sometime soon. Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!